Nothing is certain in this world except death and taxes. A famous quote from Benjamin Franklin, but I think we can start to add to those two things. Our guest this week, Jason Hopkins of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, has two words that he has added that I think can help us with our empathy, sympathy, and just knowing that the people around us need our help. Those two words are, everyone struggles. I know I do. Let's start the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Relatively Normal. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you'll share it. If you've been with me for a while or listened to a couple episodes, thank you so much. And remember, you can become a paid subscriber and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month if you head to the link in the show notes or head over to anchor.fm, search for Relatively Normal Podcast, hit that money button, and there you go. So there has been a specific group that I've been wanting to talk to somebody associated with that group, affiliated with that group, and that group is NAMI, N-A-M-I, or the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They are in so many states, so many cities, so many chapters they have. And today I have Jason Hopkins joining us. Now, Jason is the CEO and president over in the Denver area, their chapter. And I got to say, this I, this was an amazing conversation. This was just such a good conversation. And I'm not going to take that long for us to get to it because... First of all, Jason is an amazing person. Can we just let's just let's just say that out loud. Jason is a great person. He has a website and runs a project called the the Connection Project. It's over at realpeoplereallife.org and it's just an amazing amazing project. And I really think that well, do me a favor. After you're done listening to the show, head over to realpeoplereallife.org. The mission of the project is simple, and it says this right on the website, to strengthen connection to ourselves and to others. And those words that I mentioned at the beginning, everyone struggles, I think is such a simple but symbolic phrase to say. If you believe that, if you know that, the people you're talking to, they struggle just like you do. Their problems, their issues might not be the same as yours, but they're going through something. And there's a big thing that we talk about today. And I really want people to focus on this and just really understand this. And it's one of the things that when we talk about mental health, when we talk about mental illness, when we talk about 
you know, the stigma around mental health and awareness, there's this connotation that it has to be sad. It has to be, this person has to be in a deep, dark place. And, and it has this negative effect, this re, oh, it's got to be so sad. We have to pick this depressed person up. They can't make it. But here's the thing. When I talk about mental health, I talk about a lot like physical health. Like if someone has a sore knee, a sprained ankle, tennis elbow, a headache, you know, you don't go about it as like, oh, they're in such a bad place. Like we have to do everything to help them. No. And that's how we have to look at mental health. Like we just want people to be able to work through issues they may be having, anxieties they may be having about the stress at work or the stress in life or You know, we want to make sure we don't just get into that dark, deep place where everything has to be so solemn and so just gray. Like we can have a conversation about mental health and mental awareness and mental fortitude and mental strength and improving our headspace and improving our work-life balance without having a sad conversation. And I think I think you'll get this from the conversation that I have with Jason today. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time. After the quick break, we're going to be back with Jason Hopkins, and we're just going to have a great time talking about how we can help each other, how we can lead with empathy, how we can do more in the community, and how we can change ourselves and little tweaks we can do to put ourselves in a better headspace. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast. I want to take a moment to talk about 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. If you have followed my mental and physical health journey, you know that I love to run. I believe it saved my life. That is why I want you to know about 6AM Run. With over 10,000 five-star reviews, it won't be hard for you to see why it's one of the highest rated nutrition brands on the market. Their mission is simple. 6AM Run believes in improving everyone's physical ability to not only have motion, but stay in motion. All this while creating an amazing, supportive, surrounding community. With great flavors like watermelon, fruit punch, raspberry iced tea, and my personal favorite, pop and candy, you'll find out that it doesn't matter where you start. One block, one mile, or one marathon. 6AM Run products guarantee you finish. 6AM Run helps fitness enthusiasts through their unique, all-natural blends of hydrating nutrition. Their products provide the fuel needed to achieve breakthroughs in performance. In fact, 6AM Run sets the standard for nutrition. Check them out today by selecting the link in the show notes for an added 20% off of your purchase. I am sure you will enjoy their products as much as I have. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back. 
on the show. Thanks again for joining me. And I have a really good guest this week, and I'm really happy about this because I've spoken a little bit about NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and that is who I have with me, or I don't have NAMI with me, but I have the president and CEO of one of the chapters, Arapahoe in Douglas County. With me, I have Jason Hopkins. Jason, thank you so much for being a part of the show. If you wouldn't mind, just kind of introduce yourself for everybody. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm Jason Hopkins. I am the president and CEO of the National Alliance on Mental Illness for Arapahoe Douglas Counties. Um, for those of you listening who may not know, um, NAMI is a national organization that has representation in every state. And the actual work, the education support and outreach programs that happen through NAMI happen in the affiliate level. Um, in Colorado, we happen to have 13 affiliates. I lead Arapahoe and Douglas counties, which is comprised of roughly a million people of those two, those two counties. Um, so I lead one of the largest affiliates in the state of Colorado. Um, additionally, I also have an organization called The Connection Project, um, which is a for-profit organization that kind of picks up on the work that I do at NAMI, where it leaves off um, to better meet you know, people who are struggling with life transition issues, etc., where they are. Um, and simply our mission is to help strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others in that work. Thank you for doing that, Jason. And for, you know, I, I have subscribed to NAMI's uh, newsletter, but for someone who hasn't heard of them or just wants to know more about them, what can you explain about the work that NAMI does, the work that you do, and, and what they're really known for? Sure. So NAMI was started in the late 70s around a kitchen table with family members who had loved ones that were struggling with chronic or persistent mental illness. So it always, in its essence, has had this grassroots um, sort of foundation to it. Um, and really what that blossomed into is representation in every state and then work in individual kind of community or county-focused areas within within states. Now, there, depending on the state, depending on the location, there are NAMI chapters that are help, you know, more uh, robust than others. Um, you know, specifically in Colorado, I lead one of the, as I mentioned, um, top three affiliates in the state of Colorado. We happen to have paid staff um, of 13. There are only three of us that have paid staff within Colorado. Um, so you get a different flavor, but it is, it is historically family members and loved ones who are really coming together to support their loved ones. The actual work at NAMI could look like education courses for family members and loved ones. We have peer support groups and educations. We have family support groups, um, really depending on what the capacity of the individual affiliate um, can offer makes a difference. So if you're in an area, you may get one thing that you may not find in another area, um, but it is all based around a core of signature programs that NAMI offers that are for families and loved ones and peers who are struggling with mental health. And thank you, thank you for doing that. And um, when I when I was reading your bio, and a lot of things stood out to me. And uh, first, about the your mission to advance human connection by embracing the conversation of fighters, I love that. But then something that really stuck out to me is something I've <clears throat> said before: is you know the present narrative about mental health is often perpetuated through sad scary or traumatic events, which typically overlooks right. individuals who are simply struggling. And 
I say I've said that before. I've ne- I haven't said it that well before, but <laughs> I have said that out loud. And I think, I think that is a, that's a, a, a way people, we can kind of do a paradigm shift where when we talk about mental health awareness or mental illness or, or struggling or anxiety or depression, it doesn't have to be this sad, dark, scary story. You know, we have people who who just need help getting through their day. Something may pop up that they just need a coping mechanism. You know, when you when you say things or write things like that, what you know, what has kind of made you you probably thought it, but what has you made you say that out loud? What have you seen and how are you trying to change those outlooks? That's a great question and not to get too in the weeds, but I need to take a step back before we got Mm -hmm. there. So I come to this work through my own personal journey with mental health. Um, More than a decade ago, I um, had what I will now lovingly call a breakthrough, but for all intents and purposes, it was a breakdown. Um, And and during those darkest times, what I learned and realized is, you know, if somebody is struggling and they are really not functioning well in their current life, it is really hard to figure out what are the next steps that we need to take? What are the resources that we have available to us? And then how do we access them? And what I learned from my own perspective was it just shouldn't be this hard. Um, and that is what that, that journey is really what led me to start doing the work that I do with NAMI. In the very beginning, I began as a participant in a, a peer support group. Um, quickly then was trained to lead support groups and then became a member of the board and then became the board president, Um, then went on to join the state organization as a board member and vice president there and interim executive director at the state organization and then became a paid president and CEO in the organization that I'm at. So it's been this transition of, I would say, planting seeds over the last 10 years. But what I really recognized from doing that work pretty early on was, you know, Mental health and mental illness are words that most people use interchangeably, and they are not the same. You know, just because you are struggling with something does not imply that you have a mental illness. Mental health, if you have a brain, which we all do, you have it. And we don't currently have a system that looks at our brain and our bodies as a collective unit. You know, everybody has a has a brain inside their body. So the fact that the system doesn't doesn't acknowledge it that way is is kind of interesting and unique to me. But the reality is most of the stories that we hear about mental health are only after something bad has happened, something scary, something sad, something dramatic. And from that place, I think a lot of people just close the blinds on their stories thinking that doesn't sound like me. I can't relate to that. Oh, that's bad news. But they want to block that out. And I frankly think from that that approach, we have made the access point to being able to talk about mental health or what we're struggling with far more complicated than it needs to be. And really in those times of struggle, what you want to know or should want to know is how do I get help to deal with what I'm going through? And I think that is, that is well stated. And I, you know, what some people actually, what a lot of us feel to realize is that mental health, just like physical health, just like, our social structure, just like the relationships we have, they require constant and intentional work. And, right. you know, a lot of the times, you know, take burnout, for example. Um, a lot of times we haven't been focusing on how we're feeling. We've been pushing our feelings to the side. 
we've been running ourselves ragged and then we get to a point where we're burnt out and that's the time we start to think about our coping mechanisms and for sure so so with that being said you know what are things that maybe you have done that you have assisted people in doing to constantly you know refocus on themselves make sure they're taking care of their mental health daily and just some coping mechanisms to make sure people don't go through any type of breakdown and have, you know, just have a better, more fulfilled life? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that that the awareness of recognizing that mental health is something that needs to be taken care of, like physical health, is a great starting point. You know, recognizing like you may exercise or eat healthier or get enough sleep. I mean, those are things that can impact and affect your mental health, but there are also other things that you can do that, you know, actively will support you in having healthier mental health. You know, I think one of the things that we have to look at is, you know, there's a couple of things. One, with what we've all been through in the last two and a half years, I think the reality is, is um, one of the blessings is people are talking about struggle more than they ever have. And, and, and the good news of that is people are talking about it. The alarming news is people are struggling at alarming rates. And I think when we look at the, the alarming rate numbers of how many people are struggling, the thing that we also have to look at is, can the system sustain and support the people who are actually struggling? And by and large, there's not a statistic that, that proves that it can. So from my perspective, when we talk about, you know, uh, fostering healthy mental health, you know, what are the things that we can start with to empower ourselves? And again, I'm not dismissing anybody who may get further into the funnel with depression or anxiety, but if, if you're struggling with something, you know, kind of consistently or through a day by day basis, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Um, are you getting exercise? You know, are you eating, are you eating good for yourself? Um, are you focused on gratitude? Have you thought about getting out and getting 15 minutes of sun on your head? Um, have you, uh, taken a walk around the block? I mean, there are many things that I would call self-empowerment tools that we can take action on ourselves for free in this very moment that will make a difference in how we feel. I'm not here to say it's going to fix it. Um, I don't know that it won't, but if and until we are willing to take some committed action to support ourselves with the self-empowerment tools we have available to us, it's really hard to say the system isn't working because there are some things that we can do to support ourselves. You know, and that's what I kind of love about the younger generations now. And, and I will age myself. I'm, I'm in my 40s. I, I am. And I'll. I'll but so but the younger generation, it, it's it's so refreshing to see young people who, you know, they they want to go through school and they want to get jobs and be successful. But there is a bigger percentage of them that will not just disregard their personal well-being to get ahead in a job like our fathers, our, our, our parents did and, you know, be right. totally married to their job, miss out on, you know, soccer games and recitals and things like that. And, and I think that's a great thing. Now I'm not a, you know, I don't own a fortune 500 company, so I don't know how I would feel about that if I was that. But I think with that being said, it's, it's up to the companies now to learn how to recruit and market to that person who wants that work-life balance. And listen, I understand that there's people out there who are, are meant to, to be workaholics. Like I'm, I'm not 
blind to the fact that there's people out there who who want to succeed in their jobs and and do it and that's their priority but it seems like the younger people are really you know if i work eight hours a day i want to make sure that i i have time to decompress have time to see my friends have time to see my family and that that to me sounds like a more lasting you know uh successful you know work life than we had before i mean i mean that's what it sounds like to me so i I definitely go ahead in theory yes Mm -hmm. yeah in theory yes but i mean the reality is is um we also have entire generations of young adults that are coming up that have been um more primed to talk about their struggle primed to talk about what they're going through but they're also you know the free time that is available to them is not necessarily being used to spend more time with their family or their friends or their loved ones. I mean, we also have an entire generation that has been raised on technology that is very um, entrenched and engaged. I'm not going to use the word addicted intentionally um, to, to have an online community and to be able to connect with that. And, and I would, and I'm not implying that there is not connection to be found through technology, but in my experience, sustainable Um, soul-filling connection usually comes through having conversation with somebody, being engaged with somebody, and it's not being buried in a device. I think there's a a perceived connection that we get through technology that I don't think is playing out in the real world as actual, real, sustainable connection. And and that might be a thousand percent true. And I think it it makes me think of when I was at a startup company uh, a few months ago, we had hired some younger people to be on our phones. And we literally had to teach them how to have phone conversations because everything <laughs> is done through messaging, through text, through IM and DM. It's amazing. And I never thought about right. that. Like we have a whole community of people or a whole generation of people now who don't talk on phones. They, they don't do it. Um, and it was just, it's, it's mind blowing to me. And it's, it's not like it's a bad thing, but it's something that people just need to know when they are, you know, dealing with the different generations. And right. so it, again, Jason Hopkins with, um, and I want to talk about this because you mentioned the connection project and people can go to real people, real life.org, a very great looking website, um, very interactive, um, videos, podcast episodes, you know, talking about, um, teen talk, which I think is great. And one of the latest ones or or one of the ones from last year is actually named teen talk technology and mental health, which, uh, we were just talking about. So kind of talk about that, talk about the website, what people can, can see there, what people can do and, and kind of the genesis of this whole connection project. Yeah, so Connection Project really is, you know, foundationally, again, and it, it was it was designed to strengthen connection, strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others. Um, the website actually is in the process of being revamped, so we have an entirely new version, which is why some of the newer content is not yet up there. But it really is a repository of the work that we did. And, and when I started the Connection Project in 2017, um, really the goal was to you know, fulfill our mission. And, and what really stopped us in our tracks very quickly 
was recognizing you can't market to everybody. So from that understanding of even though the concepts are similar, not being able to recognize or not being able to market to everybody, the reality was is, okay, let's take another approach to how are we going to connect with people that are like-minded, have similar value systems, have similar interests, et cetera. And what we started looking at is what are our most vulnerable communities? What are our communities that have high substance use and abuse disorder rates, have high suicidal ideation and completion rates, have high depression, anxiety, et cetera, you know, rates. And, and what we found by and large was there were communities that we could identify and pull out and do this work with. So really the Connection Project is about building social impact campaigns that meet people where they are. So we have initiatives that focus with youth and young people. We have initiatives that focus with the responder community. We have initiatives that focus with vets and, and military personnel. We have, you know, we have series that we've done with moms. We have series that we've done with middle-aged men. Really kind of these vulnerable or marginalized communities that we can identify and recognize. And what we'll go and do is, is spark conversation. We'll host podcast series. We'll create digital resource lists for them. Um, you know, we'll deliver... Uh, digital advertising to them. We'll deliver um, radio spots that are targeted towards those audiences. We'll create video for those audiences, social campaigns, etc. And really had a lot of success in being able to create scale of information among those audiences. So fast forward, we go through the pandemic and recognize there was a pullback and a retraction. And there was also an appetite for getting support resources that we've never had before we built a campaign called Everyone Struggles. And that has become mostly our tagline moving forward in the recognition of, and I think the, the conversation we're having here today is everyone struggles. And I used that word and I picked those two words together intentionally from the understanding that struggle is not scary, it isn't sad, it isn't traumatic. And that word, and I encourage you to use it with somebody because I, I have had people say, I use your words, everyone struggles. And normally the person that is receiving that, that information will pause and often affirm yes, and then often tell you what they are struggling with. And frankly, from my perspective, us being able to talk about struggle contextualized to our own experience, I think is so much more relatable and again, it isn't scary, sad, or traumatic. And it it allows me to see the humanness in you. And you were talking a minute ago about businesses. You know, I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and leaders. And the thing that I will tell my leaders by and large, time and again, is you have to be able to put yourself in, a, in, in the position of somebody that you're leading. And if you can see them first and meet them from that place, the abilities you're going to have to be effective in what you need them to do from there is going to be far more successful than approaching this of, hey, I need you to do this and just get it done, which is a lot of how we've traditionally approached things. I just, we are being called to show up in our humanness. And I think the people who do this work well are people that do that better. And I love that because, um, and unbeknownst to you, uh, a few years ago, I actually got to lead a, a, a lunch and learn titled Leading with Empathy. And I, right. I think it's, 
and people will use the term soft skills and and I don't like using that because soft skills kind of has the connotation that you need to learn this after you learn the real job. I don't I don't like that. But you know, it's absolutely one of those things where if I'm leading you for 8 hours out of the day at minimum, 40 hours a week. So we're we have a relationship. We we are engaged a lot of the week. You know, it does us well as leaders to figure out what makes the people who work for us tick what makes them happy what are their triggers what are, you know what things can we do to humanize their jobs because at the end of the day sure. end of the day this job jobs can come and go but it's the human part of of you know the the workforce that's always there and i think yeah. uh, again I think in the past we haven't always seen that. In the past we we've, we've had the kind of you know thought processes that hey, we're paying you to do something, you need to do it regardless of what's going on. And I I'll sit here and I'll be honest with you, I may have had those thought processes in my past when I was a you know when I was a a, a new leader and I thought to myself, hey, I got here cuz of hard work, they can do the same. But you know, we have to make sure we take a step back. We listen to the words that people are saying because they say a lot. A lot I say this all the time. Like people tell us how they're feeling a lot of times. They don't say it out loud, Absolutely. But, but they will say, man, t today is just tough or I I'm really nervous about this meeting or or gosh, I'm just, you know, today is just it's a day. And it's like we we brush those off. So for the leader, right. yeah, for the leaders that are listening now, like what are. You know, what are things you've seen that that have made people more empathetic leaders or made people less empathetic leaders? Like, what are the things you've seen in your past? Well, I think per, first of first of all, it starts with a willingness to show up and help people. You know, I, I subscribe to a servant leader model. So for me, like, I feel like I am the catalyst to be able to support facilitating conversations of change. And, and if you show up from that, how can I help you perspective? I mean, you mentioned a minute ago, people will tell you things. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I also will add, and they will show you. And they will show you by not being productive, calling out more often, um, spending more time, spinning their wheels, doing things that are not work workplace productivity uh, initiatives. Um, you know, a, a good leader in my estimation has to be somebody that can discern and look at all of those things. And again, I'm not saying that's a skill set that people just immediately have, but I do think that if you're willing to show up and pay attention and listen first, um, people will tell you what they, they say, and then you discern from there, what am I going to do with this information? And then how am I going to better show up for them? Because, I think to your point, when we were talking about younger generations before, I also think we have an entire generation of people who are not committed to staying in jobs 20 years. They will move every single year. And, and, and as a company, you have spent a lot of money training them on a skill or a craft for your business for them to leave. It is in everybody's best interest to ensure how do we make sure that we are meeting their needs? And I think younger generations by and large demand a quality of life that older generations don't. And frankly, I think if you want to survive and thrive, you have to be willing to adapt. I don't think that means giving in to every single whim or demand, 
but there is a middle ground of saying, okay, I, I see that you need this, we need this, and then figuring out how you meet in the middle. I think there's a responsibility for leadership and for employers to really recognize the world has changed. You know, I don't think the world that we had prior to the pandemic, I don't think we're going back there. Um, I think we have seen that seen that play out in, in compelling ways. People have left careers or jobs that they're not going back to. People have gotten retrained or reskilled or determined a quality of life is more important to them. Like, I think it's our responsibility to like figure out how are we going to do this differently? And how, how are we going to make, how are we going to be there for, for people when they need us the most? And I, sure. I think, you know, and still expect they're going to get their job. Correct, yeah. I mean, there is, there is a fine line there. That's a yin yang. I don't think it, this needs to be, we're sitting in Kumbaya circles every day in the office. But the fact of the matter is I think people want to feel supported by the people that lead them. Now I will say if you're a leader and you don't feel supported yourself, it may be hard to pour from an empty cup. So the responsibility for you is to figure out how are you going to get your cup filled so you can then go fill the cups on your team respectively. But, you know, I don't think that as we ascend, you know, the ladder of leadership, I don't think um, there is any reason that we have to dismiss the fact that we were once where the people we're leading are. And there is an opportunity for us to put ourselves in their shoes and recognize what did I need or what would I have needed in that role and recognize that it may have evolved and changed and I need some more skills to retool today. And you brought up a really good point and it made me think one of my friends who, who um, very brilliant mind had put online that, you know, the whole quiet quitting thing is, is, is going on now where people are, just doing the jobs and, and not going above and beyond. You know, we're not going to talk about that because I know people have their their thoughts on that. But what he said was that, you know, first line workers can quiet quit. They can just do the jobs that are assigned to them. They can do the jobs they're paying for. But what he said is that leaders are not allowed to do that. And you brought up a great point because it's it's so few and far between that we actually check up versus checking down and how many leaders out there are burning the midnight oil, trying to, you know, advance their own career while assisting their team with advancing their career. And, you know, I, I just read it the other week, I, the percentage of burnout and it's, it's relative, but for first line leaders, it's exponentially greater than for any other part of a company any other part of a business, the first line leaders, the, the percentage of burnout is higher. I wish I had that number on me, but so again, you know, we've kind of turned this conversation in type, in type of, you know, leadership and leadership leading with empathy and, and how we lead our people and support our people in those cases where as a leader, I'm just, there's nothing more I can give. And I just feel burnt out. I have a group of 12 people I have to assist. We have deadlines that we have reviews to do. We have quarterly reviews. I have to, you know, I'm middle management. I have to get to my boss what I need. Like, what are things that leaders can do to protect their own mental health? 
Um, I think first it starts with checking in with yourself and really deciding, okay, if something is, is askew or amiss here, what can I do to better support myself? And I go back to those self-empowerment tools that we talked about earlier. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting some exercise? Are you eating healthier? All of those sort of things that you have the ability to create within your own system and structure. And if you're doing all of those things and something is still missing, I think there's the deeper question of, is this the right work for you? Are you aligned to do this work? And I think so many people get caught on the hamster wheel of, I have to do this work to pay my bills, that they miss the fact of fulfillment is a huge part of life. You know, if, if you're passionate and purposeful about what you do, you are likely going to have a better quality of life. You know, again, I don't want to unravel the nuances of why people stay in jobs longer than they should. There are many of them, but the fact of the matter really comes down to, again, self-empowerment. And as humans, there are decision points in our lives that we have to look at and say, this works for me or this doesn't work for me. And if it doesn't work for you, really discerning for yourself, what are the steps that you're willing to take to change it? And I think more people stay longer than they should in things that they don't love out of fear, out of obligation, you know, out of, out of whatever, whatever reasoning or rationale they have behind it. But I'm going to put that back on the person that's listening that is maybe stuck in a place they don't want to be. What are you willing to do to change it? And I think that, and again, we don't want to be, you know, unsympathetic or, or show no emotion to the person who, you know, is in a place where they, they feel they need this job right now and they're, and they're giving up their, their own mental health or their right. own, we, we don't, we don't want to, you know, not realize that part of it, but you've already mentioned it several times. This episode is that again, the little things, nutrition, fitness, sleep, and people hear that over and over and again, it's, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. But, you know, our bodies are machines. And well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I look at it as one next step. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for me, what is one next step mm-hmm. you can take? I think where a lot of us fail ourselves is we look at the whole staircase. And as you know, Mark, we don't get up the staircase any other way than one or two steps at a time, you know, depending on what your athleticism is. But the reality is you still have to take a number of steps, regardless of how many there are, to get to the top of the staircase. If you're so focused on the staircase, I think most people are still stuck at the bottom because they don't know how they're going to get up. Figure out one next step. And in in my work of working with people for a long time now, if you can take that one next step approach, the reality is... You can choose what the next step is. Just choose a step that you know you can do committedly and consistently. That is the key that fails a lot of people. They'll take one next step, but they won't do it again. And, you know, you only get up the staircase one or two steps at a time, but commitment and consistency to taking steps is really, really huge in getting different results. And I think what you just mentioned is is basically two things that I speak about all the time. And and one is, is reframing your outlook, reframing what this job means to you, reframing what's important in your life, reframing how you can use your job for your benefit. And the second part of it, and, you know, I think it's one of the biggest things that people fail to realize is how much 
power they actually have over themselves in their lives. And they get to a point where they think, there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck. You know, this is what I chose and, and I'm stuck here. And then, you know, once people figure out, well, maybe an hour a day I can take this course and I'm going to be committed to it for three months. And, and you know, I'm going to get certified in something and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to pay a little bit of money for a life coach or I'm going to, you know, maybe take an intern, something that they're going to be intentional and consistent. And as you said, committed because there's, there's no point in doing something where you're going to be 50-50 about it. Like you need to be committed. Right. And, and, and when somebody says, oh, that's not going to work or I can't do that, you've immediately shut yourself down from the top of the staircase. You know, I don't know anybody that achieved something great that didn't have to go through some trials and tribulations to get there. And I think we live in this world where we are so captivated and fascinated by the highlight reels of others that we assume that everything is really easy. I mean, I look at this influencer lifestyle that everybody seems to want to subscribe to. And I heard it, I heard it put so beautifully the other day. I can't even remember where it was. You know, most people become influencers over time. You know, it's you create, you write a great book, you create a great course, you want to put it out there and you assume it's going to become an immediate success. And sometimes they do. But the reality is, is most people don't have an audience. So until you have an audience to deliver this great thing that you've created to the world, um, it's likely not going to have this, this exponential success that you're hoping for. And to create that audience in today's world, we can scale that more quickly than ever. But the reality is it takes time. And I think most people are, are being led to believe that that so much of this is easy and it just happens by happenstance and magic, right place, right time. And I don't think that's the case for most of us. Um, and, and, and really from that understanding, you still have to do the work. And, and if, 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 if taking a course is too much, if spending an hour a day is too much, how about getting 15 minutes of sun on your head? How about writing down three things you're grateful for every day? Um, how about taking a walk around the block? I mean, again, I can't say that they're going to get you the results you want. I can't say they're going to change your life, but I certainly don't think you'll be worse off for doing any of those things. And in those moments, it may give you a space of pause to reflect and find something that will fill your cup, that you are willing to commit an hour a day to, that you are willing to learn about, that gets you further up the staircase. Like, I don't know any other way to get up the staircase other than one or two steps at a time. You're you're absolutely yeah, you're absolutely right, <laughs> and I think you brought up a good point with the influencers because we see an influencer's life literally thirty seconds at a time. That's what we see. We see thirty seconds, and and the good ones who have millions of followers, you know, that's something they're doing every day for multiple hours a day, and we get to see like a job, like a job, <laughs> like who knew? Yeah, and we get to see it in thirty seconds and, and minute stretches. That's what we get to see. And, you know, I, I think it's amazing when you when you think about that way and reframe it one step, you know, and, and make it intentional. So, Jason, before I let you go, I kind of want to to end with with kind of a simple but complex question that I think a lot of people may want to hear. And, you know, you've mentioned how those two words, everyone struggles and it's kind of been that light bulb, that aha moment for a lot of people. But even in those moments when you say that or when somebody says that, you still have the person or the people who 
just fail to realize that. Who fa- no, I'm not. This is just something I, I, I'm going to get through. Like this is not a struggle. This is this is who I am. And and how can people you know release the blocks and limitations to move forward in their lives and their careers? What things can they do? I, I know a lot of it has to do with validating your own feelings and actually opening up and believing yourself and treating yourself like a friend. I understand that, but what are some things that we can people can just just re- release those blockages and limitations and, and move forward to a, a more fruitful career in life? That's a great question. I, I, frankly, I think it it starts with your willingness to do something different, to get different results. Are you willing to show up differently from yourself? When you come from a place of no, or I can't, or this is how I am, or it's always been that way, I think you are immediately standing in your own way. And until, if and until you can move out of your own way to realize there may be more light over here for you to stand in, I think people stay stuck. And I, and I think that people stay stuck for a lot of reasons, and we don't have to unpack that. But really what it starts with and goes back to what we were just talking about is Are you willing to do something different to get a different result? And if so, let's identify one next step. And I'm not saying that one next step is going to change everything, but that one next step is what builds upon for you to be able to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And to recognize that the the circumstances that you're going through right now, the situation that you're in, it's not forever. You know, when I was going through some of my darkest times, that words that served me so well were simple. It's now and not forever. And I think recognizing it's now and not forever has such power to be able to, in a moment, reflect on the fact that things will change. This too shall pass and I will feel differently. So I encourage people to really show up for yourself first and foremost and decide, are you willing to do something different to get a different result? And if you are, what's one next step? I I think that is perfect. And I I, I challenge people. I like to make things really it, simple. It's really, yeah, it is. And I, yeah, I challenge people. Like, yeah. And it's really not simple, by the way. I want to I be completely transparent about it. I mean, the work is still the work. But I mean, I think when you can chunk it down into a next step, it's, it's approachable. Mm-hmm. And I think approachable when we're looking at something hard is we want to know, Hey, where can I jump in the jump rope whenever, you know, what, what's, what's the spin of the cycle that I can jump into this and keep jumping. I think that's what people are looking for. We have to make things more approachable. If they're too hard, I, I think the experiment shows people don't take action. You're absolutely correct. And, and you took the words out of my mouth. I, I was going to say it sounds simple, but it, it, it can be complex. And, I challenge people literally when you're done listening to this show. So the show, we're, we're wrapping it up. It's going to be done in, in a couple minutes. Put everything down. Take out a piece of paper. Write three things that you're grateful for. Write one thing that you want to change to get to that first step. And then go outside for 15 minutes. Like, just try it. Just try. I, I challenge it. people. And if you do that, if you're listening... Snap a photo of yourself and and, and tag me on on, on Instagram at, at relatively normal podcast. Like do it. Let's and let's challenge others to do it. Don't just tag me. Tag a friend. Tag someone who you know is struggling. Because remember, everyone struggles, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be dark and scary and and in in is secluded. Like it doesn't have to be that. We're all human, and 
I think Jason said it best. We all have a brain. I, I believe that too. I, I think we all have a brain. So um, I'm sure if this is a political show, people would have you know, questions about that. But it is not. It is a mental health and awareness show. Jason, thank you so much. How can people find you online? How can people connect with you through social media? Mark, it was a pleasure. So I'm pretty easy to find um, on social media. You can find me if you want to look at my personal stuff, uh, Jason Hopkins. Um, you can certainly find me under Connection Project LTD. So Connection Project Limited is basically what it is. You can find me on any of the channels there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. My website, again, is www.realpeoplereallife.org or namiadcoadco.org. Um, again, super approachable. Uh, happy to, to, to connect with anybody. And I appreciate the time and the opportunity, Mark. Thank you, Jason. You have a great rest of your day. Everybody go check him out. This was an absolutely wonderful conversation. Do not forget about that challenge. I promise you it helps. Like Jason said, it won't fix everything, but it'll make you at least feel better. So thank you, Jason. You have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Thanks. Thank you to our guest this week, Mr. Jason Hopkins, the CEO and president of the Denver chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. As always, Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. And if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 on any phone.